0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. So, tonight we are taking another a fairly large portion of this book, as there are a lot of things that are said here but seem to have at least uh, some tie to one another, as there's a, some explanation for some of the statements that are made. And so, we are taking. A bigger chunk as we have been doing uh, so far through this book. We are looking at chapter 9 verses 13 through chapter 10 verse 15. Now the focus tonight again is wisdom and folly. We are confronted not only with the many contrasts of wisdom and folly, but Solomon brings before us again not only wisdom and folly, but dealing with those who are in authority, uh, perhaps government and there's a number of things to consider with that. Now this section is really difficult, just to be honest with you, to see the flow of thought here that Solomon has uh, to really see. Um, a more specific overarching theme rather than just a contrast to wisdom and folly. There's a number of proverbial sayings here, uh, but again, it's, it's very difficult to trace the flow of thought. And uh, I'm not alone in this, uh, trying to study and looking at a variety of commentaries. Many commentators are having difficulty with this as well. Uh, even uh, Martin Luther had said Solomon really makes some harsh transitions, and that's very true. Uh, Another gentleman, Peter Enns, he was speaking about this section, describes it as a scattered, perhaps even frantic effort to express himself, speaking of Solomon. Now, even though the flow of thought is a little difficult, uh, the, over, the specific overarching theme, other than the general theme of wisdom and folly, there are some, some clear teachings that are here. And of course, the clearest teaching throughout all of this is that wisdom, seeking after wisdom, has the greater advantage over folly, over foolishness. And we have seen that a number of times uh, already throughout this book. But some other things that Solomon mentions within this uh, portion of God's Word is that sometimes wisdom itself goes unappreciated, even if it accomplishes great things. Uh, Folly has a tremendous influence over people and even a society. Uh, That is indeed true. Sometimes, actually more so than not, probably, uh, folly ends up garnering a lot more attention than those with true wisdom. But uh, we have to remember that even though um, those who are the foolish gain more attention, recognition, all of that, uh, that we still seek after wisdom and we seek to live wisely before our God um, because that is the greater advantage, that is the better way. And we need to do so without any expectation of being recognized or gaining any uh, following, any of that other stuff. One theologian, Max Rogland, he says, Wisdom should be pursued for its own sake, not for any possible gain in one's fortune or reputation. And these are some of the things that we learn in this passage by Solomon himself. Wisdom is always the better choice. Wisdom far outweighs folly. That is a continued theme. And Solomon again is going to labor the point in this passage for his readers. And may we also give heed to his words. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word as we read chapter 9 verses 13 through chapter 10 verse 15. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words. Let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. Chapter 9, verse 13. Also this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom yet no one remembered that poor man so i said wisdom is better than strength but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded the words of the wise heard in the quietness are better than the shouting of rulers among fools of a ruler among fools wisdom is better than weapons of war but one sinner destroys much good dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. If the ruler's temple temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. There is an evil. I have seen under the sun like an air which goes forth from the ruler. Folly is said in many exalted places while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. He who digs a pit may fall into it and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who queries stones may be hurt by them and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge... Then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him? The toil of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you once more to give you thanks for all that you are. For you are truly altogether wise in everything that you do. You are the epitome of wisdom and knowledge Your word says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Father, there are many, many times that we seek to undermine what we know to be right in order to get ahead. Or we want to do things in such a way that we would be seen or known. And there are times in which we abandon true wisdom for folly. As we work our way through this passage, O Lord... Help us to see the advantage of wisdom and seeking after wisdom continually and not taking any shortcuts or trying to garner our attention for ourselves by doing what we know to be wrong. You are the one who matters in everything that we do. For you see all. You know all. Father, and it is more advantageous for us to do what you command than to follow the wisdom of the world that leads to self-destruction. Father, guide our thoughts in this passage. May the Spirit of God do a mighty work within us that we would seek after wisdom all the more, your wisdom. Father, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said, amen. Please be seated. So even just reading through this, there's... A number of different things that Solomon has said in this passage. Uh, some things, again, a little difficult to understand as to what he's meaning by certain words that he's using or phrases. Uh, how does it all connect together? Uh, and it is, it is difficult uh, to keep up with. As Luther said, he makes some harsh transitions Trying to keep up with his flow of thought? Is he, is he just frantically, as one writer had said, just trying to express himself as he's viewing everything that, he, that, he, that is in his kingdom, perhaps? Or just pondering on wisdom and folly? There's so many things that he says here. But it all comes down to this. The advantage of wisdom and the harm that is brought by foolishness. Many seek after the way of foolishness, because it seems it seems to be um, more popular. Perhaps you can gain uh, some attention for yourself by seeking after folly and wisdom, or excuse me, folly uh, itself, uh, in contrast to wisdom. Now, if we just look at the things that Solomon is talking about here, we're looking at the applications of it. Automatically, some things perhaps flood our minds as we're considering even our own day of how people seek after folly. They seek after all the foolishness that that is in the world as of right now. And by doing so, they become perhaps more popular or recognized. They gain a following. All you have to do. If anybody really wanted to gain quite a bit of attention, all they have to do is say, I love Jesus and I support all the LGBT stuff. That's all they have to do. They say something like that, people are going to flock to them. See, you Christians need to be more like this one. And then this one ends up gaining a lot of attention and perhaps even a following by seeking after this kind of foolishness. So many, even within our own nation, in our government, all of that, are seeking after this foolishness. Why? Because it's the more popular way. It's the more accepted thing. That's what's, This is the, the, the things that are resonating with people. Now, to go against the grain, to truly seek after the wisdom of God in contrast to all this foolishness, it, it is perhaps in some respect the more difficult route, of course. It is It is more difficult in dealing with people because you have to use this kind of wisdom in order to speak to them or to have conversation and try to reason with them. It is difficult. But it is indeed the better way. Now, some of the first things that Solomon speaks of here in in, in expressing this wisdom that is the better way. He said sometimes this wisdom goes unappreciated. Now, he gives this account. He says that he came to see wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me, he says. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Now, this is, this is a very interesting account, because more, more likely than not, when we come to this sort of uh, scenario within Scripture, usually the poor man isn't going to be the wise. He's not going to be the hero. Uh, usually the ones who have wisdom and have knowledge and have garnered such knowledge and wisdom are those who are perhaps a little bit more rich. Uh, a little bit more wealthy in order to have had that kind of an education. Here, the hero of the story is not at all uh, the one who has wealth and who has had education, but rather this wise poor man. Now, it's showing throughout, through this, this small story that the power of wisdom. Uh, this is making this major point, exalting wisdom for what it can do. So there's a small city, perhaps this king comes into the the area, he's surrounding the city, he's going to lay siege to it, he's going to destroy the city, take the spoil, whatever it was the plan is. The king, perhaps in the city, doesn't have the wisdom to know what to do, and so a wise poor man comes out and he is able by what he says and how he approaches this other king to save the city, to deliver the city from destruction. Now, this does in some sense sound a little far fetched, but it's not. Not at all. Back in the 5th century, Leo the Great, who was bishop of Rome during the time of Attila the Hun, as Attila the Hun was referred to as the scourge of God, and he was known by the Romans for all his brutality and cruelty, he is heading for Italy. And if he had taken Italy, the empire would have fell then. But Leo the Great gets on his horse and he goes out to meet Attila the Hun. And somehow he persuades Attila the Hun to turn around and not head to Italy. And so he is credited for saving Rome. How does that happen? You have Attila the Hun, who, if we, we've studied in history, we, we know he was conquering some some very specific major portions of the Roman Empire, laying siege. And yet this one man was able to speak to him and somehow persuade him not to keep going. Hmm. To turn back from invading Italy. So the story here that is contained in the word of God is one that is, it seems a little far-fetched when you first read it, but it's not because it's happened before in history. Now, what is being exalted here is wisdom. Had this poor man or had Leo the Great come out and said something very offending to Attila the Hun, or maybe this poor wise man to whatever king was surrounding the city, the results would have been much different because you come out in anger and bitterness or or any of that kind of a prideful, arrogant, condescending kind of an attitude towards somebody who's more powerful than you coming into the city, it's not going to go well. But wisdom, wisdom, as he will say here in just a moment, wisdom can, can allay um, great offenses, as he says. So this is, this is a man who has saved the city in this particular passage. And yet, instead of building some kind of a monument to him, or, you know, we have a number of instances in, in our own cities, and whatever, we, we name a, a street after somebody. You know, there was none of that. They didn't do anything for this man. And in fact, the passage says, yet no one remembered that poor man. Even in the later generations, perhaps is what is being implied there in verse 16 when he says, So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. This man isn't even remembered for saving the city, even though through true wisdom he accomplished something very great, something honorable. And yet he's not remembered for it. And even in view of that, even though this wisdom going, uh, this wisdom put into practice, of course, going unappreciated by later generations, no one's going to know about this man. Even though that may be true, wisdom is better than strength. That's what he says. The words of the wise heard heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools wisdom is better than weapons of war it's still better it's better than shouting like a fool as he says there shouting among a ru- shouting of a ruler among fools talking all kinds of big things and then bringing about even greater harm to you or to those that are, you're leading He's saying the words of the wise that are heard in in quietness are better than this. And what is he saying? He keeps coming back to this theme. Regardless of the outcome of people knowing you or not knowing you or gaining anything, it is better, it is more advantageous for you to seek out true wisdom and to apply this wisdom within your life. Even though you may do something great, you may never be remembered for. It. But here's, here's something to consider. It doesn't matter if people remember you or they don't remember you even after accomplishing something great with wisdom, because the only one who matters is the one who sees all. Anyway. You know, as as our Lord talks about, you know, those who sound trumpets when they give and all of this, he said, what you do in secret and, and, and just putting it in similar terms, what you do in secret is more honorable and takes the attention of the Father more so than speaking it before everyone. The Lord takes notice of that. Now, consider Christ. We're looking at Solomon. We're seeing all the wisdom of Solomon. But as we've been saying over and over throughout these numerous weeks that we've been in this book, Solomon is only the wisest in the world, second to one, which is Christ. Christ who is God in the flesh. You can't get any more wise than Christ himself. And yet what happened? He was despised, he was forsaken. He was ridiculed. He was altogether ignored. The things that he says, though it's pure wisdom coming from his lips, altogether ignored. And yet, what did Christ accomplish? With the salvation of his people. The greatest act of love, of justice, of justice. The greatest act that demonstrates the holiness of God. That's what he accomplished. Even though he was forsaken and despised. The later generations forget wisdom. They don't pay attention to it. And folly itself can be a very uh, large influence. And it can undermine uh, great things that wisdom accomplishes. He says, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And that's where he's really leading into the next portion there. He says, dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. So you take perfume, has a wonderful fragrance, smells wonderful. People seek after it. They like it. They enjoy people who are wearing it. And he says, some dead flies, small creatures, who perhaps are attracted to the perfume, who die, who fall into it. He says, speaking of that, the dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Instead of a wonderful fragrance, now it has a a putrid fragrance fragrance, a putrid smell due to the dead flies, of course. A wise man's heart directs him towards the right, but the foolish man directs him towards the left. And so now we're having this understanding of a little bit of folly can undermine a whole lot of what wisdom and honor has accomplished. And that's just, that's a reality of life. You think of how Perhaps even in times past, things seem to be going well. All of a sudden, you get the wrong person in a certain particular office or position, and it all goes away. How does that happen? Because even though you have the great fragrance of perfume, some dead flies can stink it up. Now, in speaking of that, He does say, he's not making a political statement, by the way, but he does say a wise man's heart directs him to the right and the foolish man's heart directs him to the left, towards the left. He's not talking about politics in the sense of the right and the left. It is very interesting, though. Now, we don't want to miss that. But the wisdom... Wisdom leads to the way of righteousness. And if you just think of that that saying that is used in Scripture, I mean, you think of the right hand or the right side itself. Uh, One one writer says, um, it possesses the general ideas of strength, of rectitude and blessing. As you read in Isaiah, how the Lord upholds us with his righteous right hand. Or even when you get to those passages in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 25, for example, you have the sheep on the right, goats on the left. So there is that that theme that runs through Scripture about the right hand or the right side itself possessing those uh, ideas of strength, rectitude, blessing, and then that of the left being altogether lesser, uh, of course, the way of foolishness. So, and by the way, you know, you can look at this in one of two ways. You're on my right and you're on my left. But if you turn around, it's different. So everybody's on the right. One way or the other, you're on the right. But the way of foolishness is the way that is opposite of what these characteristics are being uh, said here as far as the right side. right hand it's foolishness it's self-harm it's destructive when you abandon true wisdom and you begin to go in your own direction look at today and well before we get even get into today look at solomon he abandoned true wisdom after he had prayed to the lord to receive it he abandoned true wisdom and being led into idolatry how does that happen Well, we have an idea how that happened. Well, we won't talk about it. But even a man like Solomon led into idolatry, abandoning true wisdom. And yet, you know, that, that's some things to take into account is that throughout his own experiences, he's bringing all that into what he is writing here because he knows these things. He has experienced them firsthand. He knows the result of when, when you abandon the true wisdom of God and seeking the way of righteousness and holiness, and then you seek after your own devices and the destruction that it leads to. And, and, and again, pointing to our own day, how many people, are causing great harm to themselves by the foolishness that they're seeking after today. Take just the transgenderism issue. People are mutilating their own bodies. What kind of harm, not just physical harm, but psychological harm are they bringing upon themselves because they have abandoned what God has said and what God has established and what God has ordered and went after their own devices? What great harm is coming? You have so many, not just with that particular issue, but there are so many other examples that we can just come up with in our minds to see how foolishness, how folly itself leads to such harm and bitterness and depression. Uh, This isn't a life of peace. This isn't a life of joy. It is a life in active rebellion against God, and when you're living in active rebellion against God, there is no peace. There's no true happiness. There's a continual seeking after your own devices in order to occupy yourselves, bring your mind off of whatever it is that you know is wrong concerning whatever is going on in their life in order to mask the guilt or the sorrow, perhaps, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. These particular foolish people, even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking or his heart is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he's a fool. He's a fool, even in the way that he is walking. Perhaps the actions are in view here because he is going the way of the left. It is evident the road that he is traveling, and it is evident to everyone else that he is a fool. He is one of those who the psalmist describes in Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And what happens when you abandon the idea of God or the reality of God, rather? You do what's wise in your own eyes. You go after your own heart's desires, which are only evil continuously. That deceive you. And lead you into harm. and great pain. That's where folly is leading. But wisdom, there is that that influence influence of folly that can destroy any good that has occurred. Um, And yet, true wisdom is able to even heal, even though folly is often exalted. It accomplishes great things. He says in verse 4, if the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. Now think of what he's been talking about previously. He's he's kind of went into some of those areas with us before about rulers and being subject or those in authority. It doesn't have to even be in a political sense. It could be just your immediate boss, whatever. You, You could put a number of examples there. But what happens when their temper rises up against you? What does he say? He says the very same thing he said before. Don't abandon. Don't quit. Put your wisdom into practice is the idea here. Because true wisdom, what does he say? Because composure allays great offenses. Giving a wise word can help to settle even in dangerous situations perhaps the other person. And again, just going to some of the examples, like like Leo the Great and Attila the Hun. How does that happen? You're putting wisdom into practice. You're being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You're coming before whoever it is in humility and humbleness while being able to use the wisdom that God has given and how God directs us in order to change the situation to calm down whatever it is that's being flared up and you can do that by using the true wisdom of God to do so when you have when you have that that foundation of how we ought to be towards one another and how God desires us to be towards one another when those situations flare up these are things that come to mind Now, it's very easy to respond the other way and to allow this thing to fester even more. And there are times, of course, for each one of us in our own lives, how we have failed in this area, that especially if we're being offended or that we're having someone come against us, the first reaction, at least the very thing that we want to do, is to respond back in the same manner. As my brother used to say whenever he was starting to get agitated, he would say, I'm about to lash out irrationally. Probably not because he was able to say that. So, But that's our first reaction. That's our first go-to. But what if in those particular situations that we were able to, to think calmly in that particular instance, instead of taking pleasure and just being able to say what we'd like to say back to the person, and this thing garnering even more fire... What if we were to say to ourselves, oh, Lord, help me to do what I know to be right and not what I want to do in these moments? How am I to view this in a way that would be honoring to you? And so what things can we begin to think of in those types of situations that are going to calm us down? And by calming us down, we are able to calm the situation down. Well, some things, some things that I like to, to think my, myself, when put into situations like that, is one, is this that important that I'm going to fly off the handle and say something ridiculous that I'm going to later regret? Is it that important? Is this going to even matter in an hour? An hour later, is this even going to mean anything? Anything? Or if it's something a little bit heavier, what then can I think? Oh, Lord, this particular person is an image bearer of you. Regardless of how I want to tear them down, at this moment, let me treat them with dignity and value as an image bearer of God. Even if it's conflicts between believers, This one isn't very hard. Oh, Lord, this is my brother in Christ. This is my sister in Christ. Let me not say something that's going to harm them, that that it's going to be regretful for me. Let me instead say something to them that is honorable to you, that is from your word in order to Diffuse the situation to calm it down in order that maybe they too can begin to think in a reasonable way as image bearers of God. And not just generally image bearers of God, but for those who are converted by the Spirit of God, who in the Spirit has been the, the, the image of God is being recreated in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Let me begin, Father, at this moment, how I may approach them in a better way. Because composure allays great offenses. Now, again, it's easy to respond the other way. And often we take pleasure in doing so. And uh, I know I'm not alone in this one. But when these things do happen, before you're able to get to the person to talk to them, you play the whole conversation over in your mind. And in your mind, you're taking pleasure in saying, this to this one and this to this one, and you're saying blah blah blah, and you're taking pleasure in your mind saying, Oh, wait till I get there. Wait till I get before them. And you already have everything planned in your head, and and your blood pressure is already going up, and it's not even happened yet. But how often does that happen? It's not weakness. It's not weakness to approach others in the spirit of humility and gentleness. That's that's wisdom. You can get a lot farther with people when you treat them with dignity and value. When you're calm and you can speak reasonably. And being able to use wisdom in order to... to look at the entirety of the situation of whatever it is that's happening, and being able to think in the way that God has us to think in order to examine this particular situation in light of all that we know of God and of the gospel, everything that we have received in Christ. Let us take all of those things and, and examine whatever the situation is. That's not weakness. That's wisdom. That is one of the verses of this entire section that is one that just stands out, even among others. He talks about evil rulers again. He talks about how folly is often exalted while rich men sit in humble places, meaning those who would perhaps have the education and the training in order to lead well are overlooked by those who are foolish and put into exalted places. Yes, that occurs. It has happened. It is happening. We know that. But how may we approach the situation or even approach people on that particular level of ideas, that particular side of ideas, and begin to, to use God's word, use the Christian worldview in order to speak to these folks while treating them with dignity and value? This is something that occurs. It's going to occur. Um, One writer says, it seems to be a universal feature of human societies that the least competent people wind up in public office. Hmm. That was by a theologian, by the way. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm but it is a universal feature of human societies that he says why well it's probably because some of the next things that he begins to say folly and foolishness you gain of a lot of attention you gain of a lot of attention because as we'll get to they just keep talking they have a lot to say about nothing but they're speaking a lot of words And so perhaps they get a lot of attention. Now, looking at how uh, wisdom can bring healing and wisdom can bring reconciliation, even though folly is exalted, folly leads to carelessness, which leads to harm, which leads to destruction. These things that he lists here are really just potential accidents that could really happen to anyone. I mean, think of some of the things he's saying. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. Speaking of someone who is breaking down a wall, maybe there's a block wall there, you're tearing this down in order to put an addition on, let's say, all of a sudden you bring down the wall and there's, there's a snake. And the snake bites you. That can happen to anyone. Or those who are working with stones, being hurt by them, who splits logs, may be endangered by them. If an axe is dull and does not sharpen its edge, he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. So this foolishness that he's been speaking about, and then he gives these examples of accidents. In one sense, we kind of scratch our head going, well, what does all that mean? Because that can happen to anyone. These are potential accidents of anyone who is in any of these situations, but continuing with what he has been talking about of wisdom and folly, these things would not necessarily harm anyone, but the point is to show that folly leads to harm, whether because of carelessness or ignorance or a lack of skill or expending more labor than one ought So these particular examples that are used are showing that the foolishness of folly. You can be harmed because you're careless, seeking after foolishness. Or seeking after something that you shouldn't and you don't have the the skill in order to perform it. Or you're exerting way too much energy. Or you're just ignorant of how things are. And this is why he says that wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there's no profit for the charmer. So again, it's in the same, the same vein of what he is saying. What does it lead to? It leads to harm. Foolishness leads to harm. Now, if you had wisdom, this particular thing that was, being, that was, that was causing the harm could be avoided. Speaking on human terms there, we know that everything is sovereignly decreed by our Lord, and as Job says, the Lord performs that which is appointed for me. There are things that are going to come in our life regardless because God has so ordained it that way. We know that, but in this particular instance of what he is saying here, the very thing that causes harm or could cause harm by leading into foolishness, wisdom itself will avoid those things, avoid those traps. And it has the greater advantage of success. So not only does it have the greater advantage of of success, he says the words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious while the lips of a fool consume him. Again, we're going back to words and what we say and how we say it. The wise man is able to say things in such a way that it is, it is going to be gentle. Still being forward. You don't have to sugarcoat it. But there is a way to say something without being so offensive as a fool would just outright say something. It's easy to be abrasive. Uh, it's easy to be... Um, condescending and speaking down to people. But what if, what if then you could, you could use true wisdom and speak to this person in a way that is honoring to them, gentle, and giving them the dignity and value that they deserve as an image bearer of God? What if we can do that? That's the way we should do. You know, the Scripture has so much to say about, about words and how we use them. Again, you know, people in, in, in my own uh, family on my dad's side, I mean, they think that telling people that, you know, um, because you're doing this in your life, you're going to hell. And they say it in that kind of a way, but they walk away rubbing their, their chest thinking, I told them. And they're proud of what they've said. Yeah, R.C. Sproul had said that every time one of his students had ever come to him and asked him a question, he always treated it as if it was the first time he ever heard it. Even if in one sense it was a foolish question. Only one time did he actually get upset at a student when they asked a question. And that was because they were, they were uh, diminishing the importance of pastoring and elevating Dr. Sproul being a lecturer now rather than just a pastor. That was the one time, at least from what he has said in public interviews, uh, <laughs> that he didn't treat that as the first time that he heard the question. Uh, but he was um, more sharp with the student but that that is that is a lesson right there though that is a great example of being able to approach other people in the sense of I already know this question let's say we do let's say we already know the answer let's say this is the hundredth time that we've heard it the thousandth time that we heard it I'm going to give that person the benefit of the doubt I'm going to give that person the value that they deserve and I'm going to listen intently and then the way that I respond should be in a gentle manner you know that's a very good question I think perhaps this scripture right here might help on this or maybe you know that um, that is a, a common objection and I think if we were just to step back for a moment and consider some of the implications of what that statement uh, implies maybe we can kind of work through it a little bit. So there is a way then to answer people in such a way that you're keeping this conversation going instead of abruptly cutting it off by what you say. Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. Now listen to some of these things that he says here. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen and who can tell him what will come after him. The toil or the continuous talking of a fool so wearies him that he does not even know how to go to a city. What do fools do? They talk and they keep talking and they want to talk about everything. But in talking about everything, they're talking about nothing. That's what they do. And yet what happens? They get a lot of attention by saying nothing. By saying nothing with substance. But for those that are seeking the wisdom of God, you have a lot of things to say that have a lot of substance to them. Because it is coming from God's Word. And it gives a solid foundation for all that we know and can understand in this reality that we find ourselves. Because it's coming from the Creator. And as the creator knows his creation, obviously, every last little detail, he has revealed in his word the very things that we need to know about life and salvation and who he is and the reality of of the world, etc., etc. And so when you're speaking to others, you have something to say. But as Dr. Lawson always said to us, you have nothing to say apart from this. This is what forms your worldview. This is what gives you the answer. It gives you the answer to the objections and the things that come your way. But in order to deliver this faithfully, you must be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, speaking graciously even to those whom you do not agree with. That's hard. It can be. It's one thing to know that It's difficult sometimes to put it into practice because we want to speak a different way. But again, come back to this point. What is it that's going to bring our Lord the most honor and glory to his name? This, it has to be the very things that we are considering before we respond and before we react. Oh, Lord. Lord. How may I glorify you in this? Your name is on the line. Let me not bring reproach upon your name. But let men see my good works and glorify you in heaven. Let me bear good fruit and prove to be your disciple. Let me speak graciously. Without compromising your truth. And again, dear Christian, you have a lot to say. They don't. They speak of anything and everything. There's no solid foundation for any of it. Anything that they say within their worldview has no solid foundation, especially when it comes to the things that they deem to be right and the things they deem to be wrong. As one man said, they have their feet planted firmly in midair when it comes to morality. There's nothing there but a whole lot of talk, a whole lot of bluster, nothing with substance. So while it seems as if they get the more attention by how they act or how they say this or what it is that they say or the actions that they perform, it is better and more advantageous for you, dear friends, to do what we know to be right in spite of whether or not we'll ever be appreciated for it or ever be recognized for it. We have an audience of one that we are living for, and that is our Lord. And just as Hagar had said, you are the God who sees all. Nothing goes unmissed here. And so live in such a way that you're not trying to compromise to gain anything, but that you are seeking to to apply God's wisdom in a way that honors him while giving a defense for the reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Understand that our lives here are not just to just be lived and then we die and move on. We are to do our part while we're here. To do our part in being a witness before those whom we have opportunity to be witness before. To train and to prepare the next generation to continue the work of the Lord. There are things that we must be doing, and so compromising uh, is, is only going to bring a greater harm to the to the next generation as they are watching. If we don't take it seriously, they're, they're not going to take it seriously. If we don't seek after the things of God's word, they're not going to they're not going to do it either. So seek after wisdom. It has the advantage. Reject the folly, and remember it only comes, it only results in harm and self-destruction. God has given you the privilege of knowing him and having his word, which is the sword of the spirit, which is what produces our, or creates our worldview, that we may see things for how they are. You've been given the mind of Christ, so seek the wisdom that is from above, rather than the earthly wisdom. As we continue, as we fail, we start again. We don't remain there. We start again. We keep pressing forward until our Lord says, that's enough. Now you may come. You live, living for the honor of God continually and applying God's wisdom even in this dark time. I pray that we would all heed the words of Solomon there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this portion of your word, and thank you for these words of of Solomon as he exalts wisdom. Sometimes we are tempted to do otherwise as to us and our finite minds with still having the the rudiments of the old man, it seems to be the better choice. But, Father, let us see and to know, to know with certainty that folly only leads to harm. Folly leads to uh, reproaching your name and leading others to do so. Continually work within our hearts. Apply what we learn each week and in our private studies. By the Spirit of God, we pray that it would be applied to our hearts to give us more conviction in how we live before you and a greater desire to seek you all the more. We pray for everyone here, for the coming generations that are being brought up. Oh, Lord, let them see genuine love and commitment from us concerning you and your word. We thank you once again for Christ. We thank you for all that he accomplished for us and the privilege that we have of being sons and daughters of the king. Be glorified among your people. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.